Welcome back. Welcome back, Bounce Back Nation. It's your girl, Deanna J. And we're here where resilience and life intersect. Um, today, we're looking at the intersection of <laughs> resilience and life after row. Um, so I'm sure by now you all are aware that Roe versus Wade have is, is, has been overturned. And we here at Life After were really kind of grappling with like how we wanted to talk about this. And so we really had to just settle on the fact that, ooh, I hate the word settle. Um, but we did, we really had to settle on the fact and really live with the fact and hold the fact. This probably would not be the only show that we do around uh, Roe v. Wade for a multitude of reasons, right? And so for those of you who may not be aware, um, earlier this month here recently, um, the Supreme Court, such as this, bought and paid for, has overturned Roe versus Wade. Now, what we won't do, because we've had some conversations some in some debates around the whole situation of abortion. But what was upsetting the most for me was how we got to this place, right? It's not like, you know, there was a conversation uh, in the in the ethos. There was a collaborative, you know, just the collective of people got together, had some conversations, things went up for a vote, you know what I mean? And then we got the result. No, what we got was the apathy of one party, in my opinion, being the Democratic Party, um, really just not reading the room, right? Like, read the room, buddy. This has been on their minds forever. They've been jockeying toward this, um, being the conservative side, the Republican side. They've been jockeying towards this and really been intentional about getting candidates that was for this. It's like, all you had to do was say you're pro-life and then you've got the backing of the Republican party. Um, all of the other stuff be damned. <laughs> like all of the, 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 the lawsuits, all of the, you know, allegations, all of the things that were proven to be true, um, videos, whatever, you name it. And if we could still try to stay high level with it, um, and not really delve deep into those things because all of those nuances and alleys and things, you can completely get lost. So I feel like because of the apathy of the Democratic Party, they really didn't fight when they should have. And that's why we're here now with a Supreme Court that has two judges that were installed by a person who really absolutely said, if I get in there, that'll be the first thing to go. And as soon as he got enough judges and stuff, you know, and he they realized like, okay, he may not get reelected. Let's hurry up and get this thing through. And now we're here. And the reason why it's upsetting to me is because of that. That to me is more upsetting than the outcome. And I, I it's upsetting to me because of so much more rests upon the Supreme Court than this one decision. And I think that that's, for me, what is getting, maybe it's not getting lost, but I feel like it's getting overlooked. And I hear it lifted up from place to place and time to time about how this group of nine, is it nine? I don't have any time. This, 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 this court has 
literally usurped the will of the people to represent the minority because and and this is not again an argument or pro wade pro you know pro choice um pro life this isn't that for me life after this decision is like where do we go from here where do we go from here when a court can decide based on their beliefs that we can just take the rights to do something. We're not doing that for alcohol, despite alcoholism being a thing. We're not doing that for fornication because that's also against God's law. And so it's like, how do you get to do that? And the reason why I'm concerned because as an African-American woman, there are rights that are barely afforded to me because of rulings, right? That the Supreme Court had already established in the time of my ancestors and those that came before me, even in the civil rights movement and subsequently. So when I see a Supreme Court deciding that they will overturn that because they don't ideologically agree with it, that's a problem. That's a problem. And when we let that ride like it's not a problem, that's even more concerning. There are people who are thinking this is just about abortion, and so they have disengaged, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice. There are people that are disengaged with this because, oh, that's just politics. I don't want to know parts of that. It's like we can't keep putting our heads in the proverbial sand when it comes to the bigger issue and the further reaching effects of the things that's going on in politics. It is just politics until they take your rights away. It is just politics until you can no longer have children at schools that are different races and backgrounds and cultures. That is completely where I see this headed. Someone actually pointed out because one of the people who are really ginning this up and really like pushing this narrative of like, you know, there are so many other things. Hey, Supreme Court, look over here, was Justice Clarence Thomas. Um, he's a person of color. Kind of hard to say he's a black man, but nevertheless, uh, he's a person of color. And he has said, hey, don't forget these things over here. Don't forget these things. And the, and the, and the, the air wasn't even out of the room, right? The words weren't even dry because they had just left the mouth of the justices. And here we are now we see um, gay rights being coming for. Um, one of the other senators suggested Brown v. Board, which is what established that we can have black children going to the same schools as white children. Um, Ruby Bridges is, 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 is her her work and what she did and her part of the journey wasn't even that long ago. And already they're looking to reverse that. And we have a person of color lobbying and advocating for this. Um, and it's shocking. And so the irony is that Clarence Thomas is married to a white woman. And on Twitter, because that is the place where you will get 
dragged. You will get snatched real quick. And he did a little bit. And I had to kind of step away because it was it was just too much. You know, I was getting mad at everything else. Like even before I could even think about the decision to decide if I'm going to have an abortion or not. Um, was the fact that you're married to a white woman and that's allowed because of the loving decision that was already established by a court years ago. And it's like, you can't burn down my house without burning down yours. And for some reason, the Republicans don't get that. And now to be a Republican today is really to be an out now racist because most people have already been saying that the Republican Party is racist, classist, sexist, all of the isms, right? But you now they're like doubling down on it. And it's, they have no apologies, no nothing given. They have no regrets. This is who we are. We stand on it. We own that. And I feel like the Democrats are still trying to play nice. Like they're still asleep at the wheel, trying to create and go things, you know, go at things like they was going at it before. Going at things like, you know, there's this standard and we want to, show them that this is the way they should go. And so they're still going at it that way. And it's like, no, they changed the game, sweetie. They've changed the rules. You're both but playing by two different sets of rules, but your rules are not strong enough to overturn them because you don't have enough people in the positions to make your rules stick. We still have bigots. We still have closeted bigots. We still have racists. We still have sexists. We still have classists who have a whole party they go to and they don't even have to out themselves. They can be a part of the Republican party and still I have one black friend and still to my face tell me they support me and then vote all the way down the ticket with people who don't even like my existence, who would send me back to where I came from as if my ancestors' blood is not in this soil. That is one of the most infuriating things for me is to hear someone say, go back to where you came from. I am where I came from. My family, my family paid to be here. My family paid to be here. My ancestors paid to be here. And then we built this for free. So there, there is no go back where you came from. This is my land. If I go back to Africa, that'll be my right. But you, you don't need to determine where I live and where I go in that regard. And so now life after Roe is like, what do we do? What will my six-year-old's life look like in 20 years? If we still have this, give them the benefit of the doubt on the Democrat side and the Republicans is like, burn it all down. If we have to lose power, if we have to lose our privilege, if we have to really live in an equitable society, burn it all down. Where do we go from here? So clearly this will be a show where, I mean, a topic where we'll keep touching base on it. Um, we'll keep talking about it, really unpacking it. Not even that we're politicians, but that we're people, we're citizens, and we have thoughts and opinions. And definitely wanting to just big picture this thing. You know, I have a 24-year-old daughter. I have a 25-year-old son. I have a six-year-old son. And already their lives are looking so different. And yes, technology's evolved. All these things have evolved. But I can't envision a world where my son, 
who is six and who is brilliant cannot go to the school that is best suited for him because he's black. And it's like, we have the people who are kumbaya and they don't want to shake the ball. They're like, no, 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 no. You're, 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 you're fear mongering. You're race baiting. I wish people would know what that term means, by the way. Like my team is like laughing because it's like we talked about really what that is and what that looks like. But no, this is a real reality. If you have people of color, this is a real reality for us, whether everyone in the community knows it or not. This is a real reality because we don't have a lot of people of color in places of power and authority. So there's a lot of people that are, that may think it's wrong, but they're not strong enough to stand up. You know what I mean? Like when you consider January 6th and you look at Adam Kinzinger and like Liz Cheney, they may lose their seats in the Senate because there are people who hate to hear the truth and they would rather go to bed with a lie than stand alone in the truth. They'd rather be in the crew of, of people and they know it's a lie. When they talk about, when you listen to the pundits, all of them are like, oh, secretly they know this is wrong and all this and that. And why are we reporting that? They're cowards, they're curs, they're yellow bellies. Why are we talking about the people who can see that this is wrong and still stand with them in their wrongness and then want to act like that's not who you are. No, this is who you are because you're okay with it. I would not permit that. I would not permit something I am really against if I was against it. It doesn't make sense. I'm not going to permit you to snatch a child if I'm right there and I could save that child. I'm not going to permit you to set fire to a building and there's the people inside and not try to do anything to stop it. So if you are in line and in league with these people, in my mind, this is who you are. Rather you want to own it, you know what I mean? Whether you don't know it and subconsciously you got work to do, I don't know. But when you think about life after row, that's what I worry about. I think about the decisions that are now in jeopardy. I think about we've already had people coming for the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. And that was in, in the 60s and in the 80s. And, the, and we're now at a place where even those recent ones, those recent decisions, those recent affirmations of our rights are being taken away. It's unbelievable. And so I don't know where we go from here, but I know that it's really going to require the gathering of people. I know that it's going to require the waking up of folk. I know it's going to require even to myself, the uncomfortability, like why are not enough of us running? We have so little faith in this system on the surface, but would let something happen. We expect it to work for us. We expect, you know, people who murder unarmed men, unarmed people, period, but especially because of the by number, unarmed black men, we expect them to be prosecuted. If you really expect that, why aren't we a part of this system? We definitely can be and we should be. But I feel like we are either choosing to be a part of the system or to separate, try to have our own way of life. And I think that that is completely short-sighted. And so how does this tie into resilience? I am so glad you asked. Because you have to be active 
right? You have to be at a place where you can't give up because it's really, really easy to get discouraged and to give up when you consider the fact that if this right that was established years ago is being overturned, why am I still here? I mean, you know, people are getting passports and everything and get ready to leave this country. And if America falls, what does the world look like? Like, clearly I have all these questions, but I want to bring it back and tie it up with resilience. Today, life with life after row, that is that aspect of life, is intersecting with resilience because it's like, Deanna, how do I not get discouraged? How do I not succumb to why even tries, doom and gloom, the presidents are already elected, not selected, so why even try? Why would you not? If someone walked in your house right now and they start taking stuff, do you really feel like you would just sit there and let them? Would you try and get away? Would you try and stop them? Would you take any action? I would submit that you would do something. I don't think that you would sit there, even if they're not violent, and just stay there. I think you would try to get away. Some of you may be a little more courageous and try to stop them from taking your stuff. Some may be even more courageous than that and try to with you know, um, constrain them until the police get there. You're calling the police, you're taking some action. And so I would encourage you to let that be the tool that you use to operate in resilience is to take action, even small action and be consistent with that action. And then utilize an affirmation that reminds you that this is not the end. This is not the end. It looks discouraging, it looks gloomy, it looks dark, but you've been in a dark place before. You've been in a gloomy place before. We know that there's life after this. And that's, if nothing else, what I want you to think about. There will be life after this. And I hope that that's something that you, you know, remind yourself about, pray about, uh, speak it aloud so that you can hear it with your own ears, uh, write down so you can read it with your eyes consistently. But get that affirmation in place. And if you don't have one, start with that one. There will be life after this. So thank you guys for uh, stepping in and this place where life and resilience intersect. I'm your girl, Deanna J, and I will see you on the next episode.